Well, welcome this morning to 11.11. We want to welcome all those who are joining us online. <laughs> We've got an active, loud crowd today. It's great to have you here. Hey, if you haven't noticed, COVID-19 is still here. It hasn't been solved. But imagine, imagine if tomorrow you woke up and in your dream God had said, okay, here's the vaccine for the coronavirus. Here it is. You just take it away. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? You give the, I know it doesn't really work that way, but, but just for the sake of argument, let's say you could. Even if I had that opportunity and there was another opportunity, I might be tempted to go with the second one. And that would be instead of a physical vaccine for the coronavirus, a spiritual vaccine for despair and discouragement. Coronavirus is affecting millions of people, their physical health. Despair and discouragement today and hatred and anger is affecting billions. I've had the blessing over the last couple weeks to read the works of a woman who points me toward a spiritual vaccine against despair and discouragement. It's Kay Warren who wrote this incredible book about eight years ago, Choose Joy. And I discovered, I guess I just didn't realize how important joy is to my life today. And I believe how important joy is to your life. If you don't realize how important it is, I hope in 30 minutes from now you will. I don't usually mention a book at the start. I've done hundreds of sermons here. I don't think I've ever done it. But I was so taken by what she said. I just want you to assume if there's something that blesses you today, that encourages you, it sounds like it's from God, it probably has its roots in Kay's book. If it makes you angry and ticked off and you're not sure it's biblical, that's on me, all right? Blame me for that. But on her, this has been incredible. It was helpful as we start this new series. It's going to be a five-week series out of Philippians chapter 4, All Things New. And today, you probably figured it out already, we're talking about new joy. We're focusing on Philippians 4, 4. And here's what Paul says to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice now he's repeating himself here but he's actually repeating himself for the third time because back in 3 1 Paul said this whatever happens my dear brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord and then just a chapter later he's running right back so here's what's going on how many of you younger people you're still in high school college you're still playing active sports you know how this is. Let's say you're playing basketball or football and you go back into the huddle and the coach looks at you. He says, this year on the women's basketball. And he goes, look, if this play's going to work, you have got to block her out. You understand? You know what's going on? You've got to block her out. And you say, yeah, yeah, I got to go. No, I don't think you get it. Look at me. If this play works, block her out. And Paul's writing to the Philippians in a tough time of suffering and trials and discouragement. And he's saying, if you want to survive in this world with all that's going on spiritually, you got to rejoice. And I don't think you got it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. You have to rejoice if you're going to make it in this world. Paul says that for tough times, rejoicing is our spiritual vaccine. What does it mean to rejoice? Here's the definition that Kay gives. I don't know that you can find one better. She says this, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately 
Everything's going to be all right because of that. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. So I believe God is in control. That gives me a confidence. In the end, everything's going to be all right. And so I'm going to make a choice, regardless of how I feel, to praise God in all things. So right at the start, rejoicing is not a call to feel happy. It's almost the opposite. It's a call to verbalize praise, even in the midst of feeling unhappy. In many ways, it's a command. Now here's what's up. Let's just be honest this morning here. God has given us some difficult commands, hasn't he? When he says forgive someone who sinned against us 70 times 7, and we all say, wait a minute, God. Did you see what he did to me? Did you hear what she said? I'm supposed to keep forgiving her? She says, don't worry, don't fret. God, how can I not fret? Have you read a newspaper? Do you know what's going on? Just sell all your possessions and give to the poor. What am I going to do for retirement? You, You can't mean that. I mean, there are some real tough, commands in scripture but i don't know that any of the commands are tougher than what we see in james chapter 1 verse 2 when he says this when troubles come your way consider it an opportunity for great joy so we're throwing in james to show this is what the early church saw as a spiritual vaccine for discouragement and despair to rejoice we put it all together we have this james who says this when troubles come your way rejoice Paul in 3.1, whatever happens, rejoice. Paul in 4.4, always rejoice in the Lord. Are we picking up a pattern here? What they think we should do. That we always rejoice. The problem is most of us walk around with pockets of joy. We're okay of going to a pocket of joy here, a pocket of joy there. What Paul is saying is that joy isn't found in the pockets. Joy's the pants. Don't leave home without them, all right? Now, if that's the stupidest analogy you ever heard, that one's me, okay? That, that, that's not Kay. Because it's not something in the pockets that's extraneous. You, it's the pants. It has to be essential. We don't want to leave home without them, which means we rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't refer to the style of our rejoicing, but the cause of our rejoicing, that it's not our circumstances. Now, how do we know this? This is so key. Where was Paul when he wrote the book of, the, of Philippians 1.7? If you look it up later, he was in prison. And when you think of prison in the first century, don't think of what you see on television. I've been to Rome. I've seen a prison where both Paul and Peter were held. You know what it is? There's this dungeon beneath the floor. They dig a hole in the floor. About eight feet below, they drop you. There's no ladder. They drop you onto a stone floor. There are no chairs. There are no beds. There are no windows. You're in there with a bunch of people. There are no toilets. And that's where you live for weeks, for months, for years. And that's what Paul is saying in the midst of this prison. He's saying... It's so at the front of his mind. He's reminding him time and time again. We have to rejoice. So if you want to say, well, I could rejoice, but we've got to get rid of that but right away. In fact, Paul would remove that but quicker than any late night infomercial ever could. He's going to say that but is going to disappear 
Because that's not what rejoicing is about. It's not in the pockets, it's in the pants. And so I just want to ask, what's the prison that you think is keeping you from rejoicing today? Is it loneliness? Fractured relationship? Frustrated employment? Maybe no employment? A a health crisis? Maybe your prison is a demonic bathroom scale that you know hates you? Because no matter how little you ate the day before and how much you exercise, it still tells you you gained weight and it's a terrible way to start the day. I I don't know what your but is. I I could rejoice, but Paul would say, no, it's not about that. Whatever happens, always rejoice. In case you don't get it, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. And this is where Kay said something so helpful to me. Often... Common wisdom says that life is a bunch of hills and valleys. We, we can rejoice on the hills. We know we're going to go through valleys. She goes, that's, that's not really true to life, is it? Not, not when you get older. Rather than thinking of life as a sense of hills and valleys, life is better pictured, like behind me, a set of railroad tracks. And, and one set of one rail, every day has a little bit of good. There's some beauty, some encouragement, maybe a little laughter. Maybe just a, you know, a nice cup of coffee or something like that. But then parallel with that, every day has its slights. There's aches, pains, there's disappointments, there's attacks. And if we want to live a life of constant, ongoing joy, we have to realize it's never going to be a complete mountaintop experience. There's going to be good, there's going to be bad. We are riding both in this life. Joy and disappointment are together. And so if we can't rejoice in the bad... We're never going to be able to rejoice. Rejoicing can't be based on what's happening, but on who's in charge. That's what our rejoicing is based on. We rejoice in the Lord. In the 17th century, Whitelock was an assistant to Oliver Cromwell. It was a contentious time in British history. Near Civil War at home, attacks internationally. So Whitelock is sort of the right-hand man, had, had no rest, he was so unsettled, he was traveling with his assistant, and back in those days when you would travel, you would stay in little tiny rooms and often sleep right next to each other. And so with Whitelock not being able to get any sleep at all, his assistant wasn't getting any sleep, and so he decided, I, I gotta do something about this. So he had to ask him, and he had to be courteous because hierarchical rules were pretty strong right then. He goes, pray sir, will you give me leave to ask you a question? He said, sure. Pray, sir, can I ask, do you think that God governed the world very well before you were born? He goes, absolutely. Pray, sir, can I ask, do you think God will govern the world well after you're gone? He goes, certainly. So excuse me, sir, but can I ask, if that's true, do you think it's possible that God can govern the world well while you're still alive? Whitelock never answered, but he fell asleep. Nothing had been solved nationally or internationally. But he remembered, there's somebody in charge. I can rejoice in the Lord. I can't rejoice in politics. Can't rejoice in the situation. I can rejoice in the Lord. I can go to sleep in the Lord. So the question is, is your joy dependent on the peace of the world, the peace of our country, and everything going your way? We think... I think, I don't mean to put it on you, I'll have joy when everything in my life is going exactly the way I want it to go. 
That's pocket joy. Paul says, no, it's pants joy. Have joy now so that you can face everything bad. You see how it's reversed? We think, if everything bad is removed, then I can have joy. And Paul says, no, no, it's a vaccine. Joy comes first so that you can face everything disappointing and bad. That's joy in the Lord. Have you, you ever run a 5K, 10K marathon, half marathon? You get thirsty. Take the half marathon, you're going to be really thirsty. One of the things I love, you're doing those races, you come up, they have those tables, and they have the water, and they have the Gatorade, and you're so grateful because you get so thirsty. Imagine a runner who comes up to that table, and she's carrying a shovel. She comes up and says, are you thirsty? Oh, I'm so thirsty. Here's some water. No, get, move away. I'm going to dig a well. Like, wait, wait, here's some water. What's the matter with you? Don't you care that I'm thirsty? I'm going to get my own water. I'll give you water. Get out of my way. I'm going to dig my own. How stupid is that? That's how stupid we look to God when we determine we're going to get joy that isn't in the Lord. God says to a woman... In a frustrated marriage, I want you to have joy today. She goes, no, Lord, I'm going to get joy in my husband. He's going to read that marriage book. We're going to go to that marriage conference. We will go to marriage counseling once a week for the next three years. If it makes us miserable, we're going to have a happy marriage. I'm going to get joy in my husband. God says to a young woman here, I want you to give joy. I want to give you joy. I know you've had a disappointing childhood. No, God, I'm going to get joy in my father's affirmation. I'm going to get that workaholic, alcoholic man to realize how important I am, how wonderful I am, how sorry he is that he missed my years growing up. He's going to say he loves me. He will say he's proud of me. He's going to take me on a trip to get to know me again, just like at the end of a Hallmark movie. I'm going to get joy in my dad. I'll give you joy now. Where it says to a young person in high school or college, I know these are tough times. I want you to have joy now. No, God, I'm going to get joy from succeeding. I'll have joy when he or she is dating me. The coach says I get to start. The university says I'm enrolled. I'll have joy when I succeed. We want joy everywhere but the Lord. It's not just relationships. It can be place. A therapist friend of mine here in Houston has said the greatest, one of the greatest myths he deals with in counseling is he calls it the myth of place. People are frustrated, they're disappointed, they think all they have to do to be happy is get out of it wherever they are. He's in Houston, so they'll say, I just got to get out of Houston, then I'll be happy. He says, you know, there are three million people in Houston, a lot of them are happy. Well, there's something wrong with them if they're happy here. He goes, is there, or is there something wrong? I'll let the therapist answer that one. Here's what we have spiritually. Paul had joy in prison, and you can't have joy in Houston? Paul had joy in a first century prison, and you can't have joy in a house that you think is beneath you? Paul had joy in prison, and you can't have joy in Dallas? I get that, okay? But, no, I'm joking. But what's... What do you let holding your joy hostage? If your joy is seasonal or situational, it's not biblical joy. It's not joy in the Lord. Look, if you go to a comedy club on Friday night, you laugh until your side hurts and you're gloomy the rest of the week. Does anybody say you're a happy person? No. 
Because joy isn't in the pockets. Joy's the pants. So how do we craft a life of joy? If we want to get there first, this is going to sound so religious. Just hang with me. This is the, the message of my, it's the truth of my life. Joy is found, it's conceived by delighting in Christ. Thinking less of myself, less of my situation, and more of Christ. When I think of Christ's excellence and wonder, like we just did, you know how you felt after that incredible worship set because we're thinking about what a beautiful name it is. Joy is born. Why? Because when we think on Christ and all that he's made available to us, we realize we're spiritual billionaires. I mean that with a B. We are spiritual billionaires. We are as rich as a person can be. And so when things go wrong, it's like a billionaire that has a car breakdown. They say it's $500. He's like, I sneezed $500 before I wake up. It's nothing to us. If, if we really think our sins are forgiven, think of the guilt that many people deal with. We're declared righteousness. Guilt is removed. We have the Holy Spirit. God's comfort. God's counsel. God has a purpose for us. He empowers us to do what we couldn't do. We have eternal security. We can look forward. In the end, we're going to be in a place so imaginable, so beautiful, so wonderful. We won't even be able to believe it. And when we think on those things, joy happens. 1 Peter 1.8. Peter says this, though you do not see him now, you trust him. What happens when you trust him? You rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. <laughs> Kay has this great analogy. Joy is found when we're gazing at God and glancing at our problems. The problem is people glance at God and gaze at their problems. Here's somebody who's joyful. They've got the problems over here. And they've got God over here. And so the person that's not joyful is saying, God, look at that. That enemy looks big. They look mean. This is vicious. This is dark. I don't see any hope, any hope. You're, you're glancing at God and you're gazing at the problem. There's no joy in that person. But the person that does this, God, yeah, they're mean. They're loud. I know they're vicious. They're pretty big. But look at you. <laughs> Look at you. Look what I received from you. And, and, and we forget to look at the problems. If you want joy, gaze at God. Glance at your problems. I do it every morning. I know I just sound like a pastor saying it, but I don't get why people see reading the Bible as an obligation. Because it feeds our souls. It is God's love letter speaking to us every day. And if you want a life of joy... And you think the Bible makes you feel guilty and judgmental and angry. Let me tell you something that might surprise you. If you read the Bible a lot, you're not surprised by this. In the NIV, in this book, there are 545 references to joy, merriment, happiness, laughing, and rejoicing. There are 158 that refer to pain, sorrow, tears, and suffering. More than three times as many verses celebrating joy and happiness. This book will lift you up. This is your spiritual vaccine for despair. Joy is conceived in delighting in Christ. Joy is protected by wishing the best for others. There's a horizontal element to it. If I had preached last weekend, and I never really know, so i got to think ahead. 
I would have begun with this on July 4th, if you're trying to remember. What's the first name of our country after the word the? The what? The United States of America. Has there ever been a time we're less united? Maybe during the Civil War, to be fair, but we are so divided. Can I tell you what I believe to be true? I believe there are spiritual forces unleashed to divide us. I don't think one person could do what we've seen being done. For years, there's been division between the classes, the have and the have-nots. We've seen terrible divisions along the lines of gender. That was unleashed with ferocity. We're seeing terrible division along the lines of race. We're seeing terrible division along the lines of geography, north and south. We're seeing terrible division along the lines of politics in a way we've never seen it before. And with COVID-19, we're seeing this stupid division between age. Seriously, not one person could think up all that. Not one person could unleash all that. we got to open up our eyes. This is a spiritual attack. This isn't a vision that's being assaulted on us. And so in the time of this division that we're giving way to, how's that working out for us? Are we a happy nation? Would anybody describe the U.S. as a joyful place but but then you take a step back one of the richest nations on the planet actually in history Gallup International did a poll over 120 million people wish they could live right where we live some people may not like it but a lot millions and millions of people wish they could be here why aren't we happy why are we so miserable here's a key joy isn't found in fighting there's no joy in the life of someone who fights. Philippians 2.2, same book. Paul says this. Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That's what creates joy. Joy is born when I want malice for none. Not one. And I express charity for all. Not easy to do. I posted something on my Facebook author page a week or two ago. It wasn't even a quote I believe with. It's just a contentious one. And there's this guy just throwing grenades at me, throwing grenades at people. And he was wrong. I mean, he just is. I don't argue. I'm just like, you are not going to let me hate you. And then this week, I started getting texts. I've been getting this every now and then since it's almost exactly a year ago. There's an spouse in an abusive situation that came to me for spiritual counseling heard this person out, brought in some professional counseling because pastors need to know when they're a little bit over their head. I got to tell you, if you get in between an abuser and they're abused, there's casualties there. They don't like to stop. They abuse. That's what they do. They're going to abuse their spouse. You think they're not going to abuse somebody who gets in the way? They just got beaten up this weekend, but it was almost funny. It was, by the way, I just want you to know, I still love your books. Hate you, but, but your books are good. I'm like, yeah, I don't think you've read When to Walk Away yet, but I'm not going to force that. But here's the thing. How do we not hate hateful people? We live in a world filled with hateful people. How do we not hate hateful people? We listen to and worship a God of love, and so we respond with love. 
We don't respond to the hate. We respond to the God of love. If we want to walk with joy in a fallen world filled with some hate-filled people, we've got to respond to a God of love. In other words, we have to refuse to take the bait to hate. You destroy your joy. Hate costs you too much. You throw away your chance to have joy if you hate. You can say, I'm going to disagree with you, but you cannot make me hate you. And I'm not going to make, this is going to be controversial, but I'm not going to make my happiness dependent on your defeat or your shame. Look, if your happiness and joy depends on somebody who disagrees with you being canceled, do you think you'll ever have joy? I know you might not like me. I'm, just, I, I'm trying to help you here, okay? Seriously, do you think ever, there's ever going to be a time in this world when everybody agrees 100% with you? And so if that's not going to be the case, are you going to make your joy hostage to everyone agreeing with you? You cannot have joy if you're a gossip. You cannot have joy if you're divisive. You cannot have joy if you're a racist. You cannot have joy if you have a problem with authority and just want to steal, kill, and destroy because hate breeds violence, bitterness, anger, and vengeance. There's no joy in a life that hates this isn't just a spiritual vertical truth it's a horizontal truth if i want joy i have to learn how to love in sometimes an unlovely world and then finally joy sustained it's conceived by delighting in christ it's protected by living a life of unity and it is sustained with hope it's sustained with hope Kay tells the story she went through two kinds of cancer. Not one, but two. One of them could have taken her life. Now you think about this. Okay, God, I got through cancer. Thank you. I've got a testimony. I can write a book. Boom. Another kind of cancer. More serious. Yeah, I went through. This isn't fair. Okay, she gets through the second kind of cancer. All right, God, I'm ready for my vacation. But no, then begins one of the worst three months of her life precious grandchild is born that almost dies the day he's born goes through numerous operations and they don't know how it's going to come out and then the mother her daughter-in-law the mother of that child Kay's the first one to figure it out has a brain tumor she goes through operation after operation and nearly dies and today she's alive but still faces some medical complications from that and during that period post-cancer Almost losing a grandchild, wondering if they're going to lose the daughter-in-law. Her son has to be hospitalized for psychiatric care. Happy three months. Okay. And that's when the Spirit of God rose up in her and the strength of who she is in Christ rose up. And here's what she said. I love this quote. Sometimes only shouting my praise will do. And it's not during the times you might anticipate. I rarely feel the need to shout my praise when I'm happy. But rather in my most distressing, desperate moments when I do it almost as an act of defiance against Satan, the enemy of joy. All right, you're going to give me this? I'm going to praise God. She found great comfort in the words of Henry Nouwen who wrote this. Our cup is often so full of pain. That joy seems completely unreachable. When we are crushed like grapes, we cannot think of the wine that will become. 
When I read that, I realized God was writing Choose Joy in Kay's life before she even conceived of the book proposal. He was writing it out in her life. What's God writing in your life? What are the crushed grapes? He's like, this isn't fair. Can you look ahead with hope? God is actually making the finest wine of my life. So how do we do that? Here's how you apply joy in those situations. To get to the wine from the crushed grapes. You got to read the labels of your life. What's going on? Here's what I mean by that. I call Whole Foods the whole day. Because when I go with an organic leaning wife who reads the labels, that's how long it takes. No chemical is going to make its way into our pantry. There are 30 names for sugar. She knows every one. And she will read to the very end. If it's there, it's not coming home. Which, which is means I'm going to spend half my day there. Now, I could go into Whole Foods. There are five things I buy, boom, boom. I could be out in 90 seconds, but I don't because then I go back to Lisa, and she's still in the produce section, and it's cold in the produce. Have you ever been there? It's cold in the produce. In fact, one time, this was the worst. She wasn't even in the produce section. She was in the produce section outside the real store, you know, just as you go in before you really, oh, this is going to take forever. I'm not going to get back for the weekend. Because she's got to read the labels. But what Paul says, when, 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 when you put it together with what James says, here's what the early church says, what Peter says, whatever happens, this is crushed grapes leading to fine wine. Read the labels. Whatever happens, rejoice. I'm going to say rejoice. Think. Consider it all joy. Think. 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 Paul says, read the labels. You have to think. If you just feel you're going to feel anger and despair. Think your way. Read the labels toward hope and you'll have joy. It's not crushed grapes. It's wine. So joy isn't a feeling. It's the result of a life set on the things of God. Someone who's enamored with the things of God. Who's doing the things of God. Christianity, I believe it, is the ultimate spiritual vaccine for despair and discouragement means every person in this room everybody watching us you can take that vaccine to people in your communities i want to do a responsive reading i'm going to read the first line i want you to read the next one i'm going to read it with you because for the people online they may not hear you but here's what creates a life of joy there are people who create and people who destroy joyful people create there are people who give and people who demand, joyful people give. There are people who bless and people who curse, joyful people bless. There are people who love and people who hate, joyful people love. There are people who give thanks for what others have done and people who are bitter about what others haven't done, joyful people give thanks. There are people who show honor and respect and people who show dishonor and disrespect. Joyful people show honor and respect. There are people who think about the victory of God and there are people who obsess about the sin of the world. Joyful people think about the victory of God. Pray. 
Here's our assignment. In a world of darkness and despair and discouragement, when we are joyful people, it's like shining a light on Jesus. It's incredible. Let me give an analogy. We first moved into our home. One of my wife's first aims was to remove the, she called them the developer's trees right next to our house. I don't know what developers are, but she said the word developers like she says junk food. It was not a compliment. They're just developers' trees. They just put the trees there. I'm like, okay, fine. So he puts in these other trees. It's like, they look nice. Both made of wood, but I, okay. I mean, so just a month or two ago, I'm out to go for a run, and there's a guy touching my tree, taking a picture of my tree. I walk out. He goes, are these crepe myrtles? I'm like, ask me quantum physics, right? I might have, I, I I, I don't, I, I mean, it's made of wood, right? It's a tree, I, it's made of wood. Let me get my wife. Well, yeah, it was a crepe myrtle, if you're wondering. And so we were taking another walk in, in the heights, and there's this house that has these lights put in right at the bottom of the tree. So at night, the light shines on these nice crepe myrtles. Lisa, we should get that. That'd look really nice. So we could tell the whole neighborhood, we don't have developer trees. We have crepe myrtles, right? Just shine that light. You, you can't miss it. We have crepe myrtles. Look, if we have joy in this day and age, if we have joy amidst coronavirus, we have joy in the society being ripped apart, people are going to say, how, how, is that, how do you have joy when the world is such a mess? And we say, because we meditate and delight on Christ who is not a mess. How do you have joy when everybody's fighting everybody? Because we refuse to take the bait to hate. We might disagree with you. We will not hate you. How do you have joy when things look so bleak? Because we have tremendous hope that these crushed grapes are going to be fine wine. As a pastor at second, I may not be able to taste that wine, but I could imagine it's really, really good. Look, my, my time's up. Um, I wish I could do a three-part series on this, but if I can get a dozen of you to pick up Kay's book. This book is born in suffering, but written with faith and hope. I'd encourage you to do that.